This is episode number 66 with the pitching coach for Point Loma Nazarene University, Dimitri Krikoris. Dimitri is somebody who has been around the block. He has been at South Carolina. He's been at Oregon. He's been at other programs across the country. Um, Last summer, he actually spent five weeks as a coach at Driveline, learning under Kyle Bodie, someone who has mentored him. Um, He is on the cutting edge of pitching and just the development of baseball. And he's just really someone who is very well-spoken and has a lot of knowledge, but can communicate it in a way that makes sense. And we talk a little bit about how that's so important in this day and age where there's so many coaches out there who, yes, they have a lot of knowledge and information, but maybe they can't explain it uh, simply to a player. Um, If you guys don't mind, please make sure to head on over to iTunes if you haven't already and uh, rate and leave a review. That would be outstanding. So I would greatly appreciate that. And without further ado, here is Dimitri Krikoris. Dimitri, really appreciate you uh, you taking the time to come on today. Um, could you take our listeners a little bit into kind of your background and how you got started coaching in college? Yeah, hundred percent. I was I went to the University of South Carolina um, at a high school. Ended up becoming a student manager there. Uh, it just made sense. I got to travel with the team, and that was my initial exposure to uh, college baseball. It was in the SEC. Uh, looking back on it, I had no idea what I was watching. Um, so I got really lucky with that. The bar was set high, did a little bit of time with the Pittsburgh pirates and instructional league, got offered an opportunity to stay on and help out in spring training with their GM and decided pro game really wasn't for me. Uh, I liked, I like synergy. I like the aspect of everybody playing on a team playing for something bigger than themselves. So I had a roommate in college, my junior year at South Carolina kid by the name of Corey Vanderhook, whose uncle's Rick Vanderhook, who was the assistant coach at Cal state Fullerton at the time. Uh, currently the head coach at Fullerton and he told me if I'm serious about this college baseball coaching thing there's there's no better place Fullerton to go so ended up becoming a grad assistant get my MBA at Cal State Fullerton and Corey was right I showed up on campus uh, and within a couple of days I realized that practices there that I, f- I felt like I knew nothing about baseball uh, just the attention to detail uh, everything that goes on there the way that they run practices um, it was just it was unbelievable so I, I tell people I got my MBA at Cal State Fullerton, but I feel like I got my doctorate in coaching college baseball there. And so while I was there, um, Oregon State won back-to-back national championships. And why that's important is because that kind of stirred up some talk at the University of Oregon. Uh, they decided, you know, they didn't they want to be the biggest show in town, so they decided they were going to resurrect their baseball program. And they came down and took Coach Horton away from us, and I was lucky enough to be invited with him to go up, and, you know, and start that program with him so uh, it took me a couple of years to finish my MBA at Fullerton stayed on the staff with coach Serrano and decided to go up to Fuller to uh, Oregon when I got finished and spent a couple of years there and then uh coached JC baseball for three years came uh, up in Oregon came down to Southern California Santa Barbara City College coached there for a couple of year, year and a half and that kind of led me to Point Loma Nazarene University right now in San Diego where I'm at which is a division two and I really couldn't be happier let me uh, let me take you back to when you were with the Pirates uh, in professional baseball. Why why didn't you like the professional game? Uh, the professional game is great, and it, it was it was more of a fit for me. 
Um, I wasn't expecting, I, I didn't realize it was real life, so to speak, from the standpoint of it's a job. So when you're in college, uh, you show up and you're on a pitching staff and everybody on your staff has roles. Uh, you have, you know, at the division two level, you have four starters, you have a closer, maybe two, you've got a long reliever, you've got a left-handed specialist. So everybody kind of finds their role. Uh, and all of you are going forward to kind of put your team in a position to win a baseball game. That's the goal. And you're united with that at the professional level. Uh, your competition is not the other team. If you're a right-handed pitcher, your competition is every other right-handed pitcher within your own organization because all of you are trying to beat each other out for that next spot that's open. So if you're in high A, it's the spot that opens up in double A. If, you know, if you're in double A, it's the next spot that opens up in triple A or the big leagues because they're going to bring up a right-handed pitcher or a left-handed pitcher or a catcher or a shortstop. So the other team literally doesn't matter. Wins and losses literally don't matter. All that matters is individual performance. And, you know, that's, that's great. Like, that's, that's the, real, the reality of the environment. And for me, I'm just, I'm just so in love with the game of baseball as far as, like, the team concept of. The one-on-one -on -one pitcher batter battle is very important, and, you know, that's, that's great. But, like, just team defense, alignments, first and third, like, all that stuff. Um, you know, the way that the dugout functions in college baseball is just so unique. And so I just I found myself missing that stuff. And I realized pro ball is great. It's just not a fit for me. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying, especially from a competitor standpoint. It's it's going to be a little bit different as well from as a coach. Um, going back as well to, to when you were at Fullerton, you talked about attention to detail um, when, when you were there for practice. Um, can you take us through like what exactly that, that means? There's like seven to eight different ways to take a lead from first base. So we're talking about you've got your leads. Lefties versus righties are completely different. You've got a straight lead with nothing on. You've got a hit-and-run lead, which is short because you can't get picked off because you're trusting that that guy's going to put the ball in play. You've got a fake-steal lead, which is kind of the same thing, where you've got to shorten up to first base because you're trying to get moving out of the middle infielders to open up some holes. Uh, you've got a delay-steal lead, and, you know, and it's different lefties versus righties. And so you're sitting there the first day like, we didn't have delay-steals. We didn't have these things. And a large portion of that is because everybody's always in scoring position in the SEC because everybody can leave the yard. Um, on the West Coast, it's a little bit different of a game. So, you know, that's a huge thing. Just the way that we ran our looks and picks at second base. Um, you know, you've got three looks at once. It was like a 0-1-0. you got a 1-2-1. One, one. You can interject different looks at different points. Um, you know, no-look timing picks where catcher drops his glove and a guy spins over and picks over the middle infielders without even looking. Uh, just things like that. Just little attention to detail stuff. Dead manning guys at base. So if you're doing a cut and relay and a guy's standing at third base, um, and the, and the runners coming in the third, don't the third baseman, he shouldn't, you know, try to get in the tense position where he's ready to catch the ball. We call it dead manning where you just sit and hang out and you make it look like there's no play. And then at the last second, go to grab the ball. And hopefully you can get the runner to slow down because he doesn't feel like there's any play there. And I've seen it work. I saw it work a bunch of times on big, on big plays, whether it was at home or at third and eliminating runs and scoring position and turning them into outs. And, uh, those little attention, it was funny how those little attention to detail things came up in the biggest moments. And so it really gets you to buy in. And another big thing, you just feel more prepared than the other team. And when you have that preparation, that gives you confidence. And at the end of the day, that's what baseball is about is just, you know, getting in the box with confidence or getting on the mound with confidence and, and just playing. 
Do you think that part of the game has been overlooked a little bit um, because of the launch angle era, I should say, from an offensive standpoint? Uh, no, because this is what I'll always say is that uh, you can't coach the way we did at Fullerton at South Carolina. And you can't coach the way we did at South Carolina at Fullerton. It's different athletes. Uh, there's different ballparks. There's different tools. Environment is enormous. You know, guys in the SEC one through nine can go yard. Ballpark's a little bit smaller. Um, and so there's no point in doing all that stuff when you can just swing the bat and tie the game up or hit a three-run jack at any point. Now, you come out west where the baseball parks are a little bit bigger, guys are faster, baseball players are a little headier, um, you know, and, and maybe and you definitely have a couple guys in every single lineup that can't run the ball out of the yard. They just can't do it. They're never going to do it. There's a lot of second basemen on the west coast that, you know, aren't, just don't have juice. And so now you've got to be a lot more creative in finding ways to have productive at-bats. And so I think the most productive at-bat you can have is hitting a home run. Uh, if you can do that, go ahead and do it. But if you can't do that, then you've got to create some other sort of leverage or other sort of look to other areas to make sure that, you know, you can optimize what's going on in that moment. Yeah, I, I, I definitely do agree with the environment standpoint. I mean, very good point about playing on the West Coast. Um, I didn't actually really know that oh, the ball really doesn't carry some of those places out there in, uh, no. in, in California. Um, let's talk a little bit about your personal kind of coaching philosophy. Um, as a pitching coach, where did you learn everything that you teach right now? Uh, the, <laughs> everywhere. Um, short answer, everywhere. Uh, so, But uh, I remember going to Ron Wolforth's uh, Texas Baseball Ranch, and uh, they had the ultimate pitcher's boot camps, and Derek Johnson was speaking there. At the time, he was a pitching coach at Vanderbilt. And I believe he's a big league pitching coach, I believe, with the Brewers. I know he spent some time with the Cubs. Um, but the first slide that he had was just be a thief. You know, be a thief. Just steal. Anything that you can steal. So, um, you know, I, got, I was lucky. The first college pitching coach I was around was a guy by the name of Mark Calvi at South Carolina, who's the head coach of the University of South Alabama. And I think he laid an amazing foundation down for me where we were long tossing. This was back in 2005. We had, um, you know, we had tubes out, you know, shoulder tubes going. Nobody had ever seen that stuff. And uh, he was really progressive and, and pushed the environment. But for me, that was like a baseline. Um, and then going to Fullerton, I really I think I learned a little bit more of the art of the changeup, the art of pitching a little bit, you know, commanding the fastball and the changeup uh, and how to be patient with pitch development. Because we'd go fast change all fall, and um, you know those guys at fall, your freshmen get, it, it feels like they don't get anything out of it because they really struggle throwing that pitch. And then sophomore year, guys start landing it, and it starts becoming a pitch that shows up in games kind of regularly. And then all of a sudden, as a junior, and you know a guy that came in fastball breaking ball is going fastball breaking ball, and he's got this changeup that's pretty good that he can throw in any count for a strike. And then they become forces, and so. Fullerton definitely taught me a lot of, you know, the long-term discipline of developing a guy over three, four years um, and, you know, the art of the change-up. And if you have a good fastball in high school and a breaking ball, you don't need a change-up. Like, good, the pitchers that I recruit should come in. And most of the time that they tell me, like, I'm like, you know, what do you throw, fast, fast breaking ball? I've got a change, but eh, and I'm like, yeah, you don't need it. Because the majority of the time, if you've got a good fastball in high school, you're just doing a guy a favor by throwing a changeup. That's just the way high school hitters are. So you don't need it. And so that's what I learned is, you know, if you want to take these guys to the next level at college, you know, 
really have some time to develop a sec- that that third pitch or second pitch. Um, you know, and I've evolved that a little bit, whether it be a changeup, a slider, a, a breaking ball, a cutter, a split, you know, just something. So I think I customize it a little bit more than just forcing the changeup on some guys. Uh, and then I go to Oregon, and that's where things just, my brain just exploded. Uh, because I meet a guy by the name of Andrew Checkets, who's our pitching coach up there. And in 2011, we've got 13 pitchers on staff. 12 of them get drafted, uh, including in that year alone, a first, a second, a fifth, and a seventh rounder. And our guys just threw absolute gas. Uh, every guy was above 91 on the team. We had a closer that was like 95, 97. He's pitching the big leagues, touching 100. Um, you know, we had guys, and most of those guys didn't even get drafted or looked at out of high school. Um, and what we were doing, what he was doing is, you know, he was doing the, the weighted ball stuff. It's the first time I'd ever seen it. The weighted ball stuff, the, you know, understanding energy systems and how to train guys conditioning that's conducive to pitchers. Uh, we had Jimmy Radcliffe, who's, you know, one of the top sprint coaches in the United States, who's the strength and conditioning coach at the University of Oregon. We had him doing plyometric stuff and running stuff with our pitchers and, and our, our guys and to see their physical development. These guys came in 86, 88, and they all left like 92, 94. Um, and to see that, uh, that really just completely changed my mind on how I wanted to train guys physically. And so, you know, he leaves, Coach Checkets leaves, he goes to UC Santa Barbara coach over there and i'm looking at him and i'm just like what the hell like how do i how do i put all these pieces together and he just goes wolforth like i'm stealing a lot of stuff there go to ron wolforth check that out and i'm at wolforth's place i think it's my second year and lo and behold kyle Bodie comes and speaks on stage and if you ever have an opportunity to hear kyle Bodie speak on pitching uh do it because the guy is he's clearly the smartest guy in the room um and as soon as he started talking, you realize this guy was on to something special. And I was in Oregon at the time at a JC. He was in Washington. So I made it a point to get in my car and just go drive. Uh, because, you know, I, he, Driveline wasn't the biggest operation in the world at that time. It was a startup. And it was pretty much just him. And But you just knew he was driven. He had a passion. He had a purpose. And you just knew it was enough. he just had information nobody else had. And then when he talked to you about it, it made sense. It just made sense, the stuff, like the delivery, just the pieces made sense from an engineering standpoint. And so, you know, huge, Kyle Bowie's a huge influence in my life. Driveline's been enormous. This is my seventh year. Uh, just finished my seventh year as a pitching coach, and I've had one Tommy John surgery in seven years. I think that's an accomplishment in and of itself, and I credit a lot of that to the weight of ball stuff. And so, um, you know, there's Bodie there, books, uh, just picking up whatever I can. Just finished reading Derek Johnson's book on uh, on pitching. I read some Tom House stuff just to get familiar with it. You don't have to agree with everything, but I think it's important to get educated on it. Um, you know, and just wherever you can find stuff, if, um, whoever's making a run, whoever's doing a good job pitching wise, you know, I try to hunt down their pitching coach and pick their brain and, and steal as much stuff as I can from them because I've tried to reinvent the wheel or come up with my own stuff and it just doesn't work or it just takes too much time and it's not worth the productivity for your guys. So instead, um, just steal stuff from guys that works. And so that's kind of, a, you know, make a long story longer. Um, that's kind of an, in a nutshell what where, where my core philosophies have kind of come from. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up the point about how Kyle Bodie um, doesn't just know a lot, but he knows how to deliver it in a way that makes sense and is simple. And I feel like as a coach... I mean, you can know the you know everything about baseball, but if you can't deliver it in a way where people can understand it, then it's kind of pointless. Hundred percent. That's something you learn as a coach. Is it has nothing to do with how much you know. 
It has, if you could be the smart, you could know everything about everything as far as pitching is concerned. If you don't deliver the right amount of information effectively to your pitchers, and if they don't walk away better, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And a, a big piece of it too is, is knowing what not to tell them. Knowing, you know, to keep it simple. Some guys, it's just literally, hey, take this, throw it there as hard as you can. It's like, what? Yeah, just throw it as hard as you can. Try to break the catcher's hand. That's it. And when they have that increased intent where they're, you know, trying to hit a target as hard as they can, everything cleans up. Their delivery cleans up. That's all they need. But then there's other guys who are kind of more few and far between where they want to know what their body's doing. They want to have a little bit more of an advanced feel. And they want to know specifically, you know, how to sync the thing up. So you can give those guys a little bit more. But if you give the guy, the break the catcher's hand guy, too much information, it's paralysis by analysis, and he's not going to go out and perform. So you've got to, you've really got to tailor it. Uh, you've got to figure out your guy's learning styles. You've got to figure out how to effectively deliver information. Because yeah, step one is knowing the stuff. You know, you can't teach what you don't know. But step two is making sure that you become effective at delivering your information. And I think that's probably the most important piece of coaching is is being able to communicate stuff clearly to your players so they can utilize it and you know become better when you have recruits that that come in as freshmen to your program and maybe they don't really necessarily buy into the whole weighted ball thing how do you get them to kind of be all in on what to do (laughs) i wait i just wait um because i'm not going to force anybody anything uh and the great thing about the weighted ball is it works and because it works, the, the couple guys that aren't doing it over you know the span of three, four, five weeks, everybody else's velos are going up around them. Here's the biggest one. Everybody else can throw every day around them. And they're sitting there after five weeks, like looking at their arm and like, oh, my arm's tired. I can't go out there. I'm like, weird. Everybody else is great. <laughs> what do you, why, why do you think that is? And they look at you and you're like, oh, I don't know. And then you have an opportunity once they've failed to kind of walk them down that path instead of like force feeding them spinach. And now they're traumatized by it where you're just like, no, this, you have to do this. And then if you force it to them, they never actually adopt it as their own. So I, 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 I want an environment of failure. I've had guys in the past come up to me and go, I, I, I don't want to throw away the balls. Go, Sweet. If you don't believe in it, then let's not do it. You don't have to throw away the balls in our program. Like if it's something that you don't want to do, then let's not do it, but have something else for me, have a reason for me, have another plan for me. Have something that we can go through so we can put you on a deal. Like one of our guys, his deal was long toss. He just loved playing catch, and he loved stretching it out, and he just didn't feel like he got the most out of the weighted balls. And, you know, he had some shoulder tenderness, so, you know, we banged that, and we put him on some throwing progression stuff, and we did a lot more foam rolling and lacrosse ball work with him. And You know, he was phenomenal. He had a great year for us and ended up in our rotation. So I'm not going to force these guys to do things – they don't want. Uh, if I'm not able to explain it to them, or if I'm not able to guide them through their failures to kind of help them out, then you know, then then it's really not worth doing. But I need them to be bought in to everything that they're doing, and I'll, so a lot of it is, for me is just giving them rope and helping helping them guide them through the process. But that that's really important, you know, how you just said, you know, you don't really force any of your players to do anything because so many coaches out there, you know, they, they make their players whether they want to or not. And as you well know, the game is so mental. If you're not mentally bought <laughs> in, I mean, you're kind of you're, – you're not going to perform. For sure. And let, me, you know, and let me amend that a little bit. Like when they come in in the fall, there's a throwing program and a structure that we're initially going to try. Right. That we're initially – that everyone's going to be bought in. It's a team thing. 
And then as we get deeper in the fall, you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start, you know, at square one. And so as we get deeper in the fall and into the season, you start learning your guys more and you're, you're able to customize things. So we do have, you know, a set structure that we, we put on them. Most guys take it willingly because they have no, you know, structure in their catch play or no structure in their pre-warm up or no structure in their post-throwing recovery. So this is news to them and they enjoy it. And so we do have that. But as we kind of put that in on guys, then we're able to learn more about them and, and customize stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's about them. At the end of the day, it's about them being the greatest pitcher that they can be. It ain't, it ain't about me, man. When they get drafted or when they win all-conference awards, like, it ain't my name on there. I don't care. You know, I've got my own deal going on. I got my own life, you know, and things that I get satisfaction out of. Um, this is about them and their performance. So I want them to be the most confident version of themselves. I want them making their own decisions. I'm one of the rare pitching coaches where I love it when my guys shake. I love it. I love it when I'm calling a game and a guy shakes me off three, four times in a row because he's taking ownership of his outing uh, and he's making choices and should it takes a lot of courage to shake. And when you're shaking to a certain pitch, you're, you're saying, I'm going to wear this. And if this gets you know blown up, then, you know, my <laughs> that's on me. That's my outing. But I'm making this choice to do this. Now, there's this secret that people don't seem to realize in college baseball, which is. 99% of the time, it doesn't matter what pitch they throw. As long as they execute it, good pitching is going to be good hitting. So I'd rather have them throw the pitch that they want to throw and execute with full conviction than, you know, have them doing throwing a pitch that I want them to throw because I know it's the right one in the situation, but they're not bought in. You can throw – if you throw your best fastball to a dead red fastball hitter, you're going to beat him. He's out. So, you know, but I, I love it. I love it when guys shake. I love it when those guys take control of their careers – and they have the courage to put themselves out there like that. That's the type of environment that I'm trying to promote uh, at Point Loma. And, and what happens is when they leave, they have so much more confidence in themselves. They have so much more confidence in their ability to make decisions, to take on tasks, to, to, to carry out goals and, and to accomplish them. And at the end of the day, you know, these guys, most, most pitchers in college aren't going to go professional and make a living. So they're, if they're able to take some life lessons out of it and become better people, and put themselves to be more, um, have some life skills to be more successful in whatever job they take, then that's a win for me, man. That's what I'm, that's why I'm doing this. Dimitri, when you're recruiting guys, um, you talked about how some pitchers, you know, you love it when they shake and, and kind of had that mindset. What are you looking for, um, when you're recruiting high school players? So I have a, I have a pitching staff. Um, and again, we kind of touched upon this, the difference between college and pro I've got a pitching staff. And so, you know, I've got four starters. I've got, uh, you know, one and a half closers. I've got some long relief guys. I've got a fireman, a guy that's got to be able to come into a certain situation uh, and just be able to throw strikes and stop the bleeding, um, regardless of, you know, the momentum. Um, so I've got different slots. And for each one of those slots, I've got different qualifications. I've got different things that I look for. Um, so, but, you know, as far as a starting pitcher is concerned, you look for a mix of three things. You look for a mix of just sheer physical ability, um, whether it's strength or whether, you know, uh, in that department, is he, you know, does he throw hard enough? I can't recruit a guy that's 75. I'll be out of a job in three years. You know what I mean? Um, and so I've got to recruit guys that definitely have that strength piece. I look for movement patterns. I look for guys that move the way that I like. Their body works effectively because guys whose kinetic chains are in sync. And throwing really well uh, together, as they get stronger, they're going to throw harder. And so, I, you know, I can't recruit a guy that's 75, but I've recruited guys that are 82, 83, that leave 90, 91. 
you know, whether it's at Chemeketa, the junior college up in Oregon, whether it's been at Santa Barbara City College or whether it's been at Point Loma, I'm not afraid to recruit a guy 82, 83, 84, but he's got the right physique, scalable structures right, and his kinetic chain works, and, you know, we can put some strength on him. He'll be 88 to 90, no problem by the time he's a junior or senior. And then the last piece is just the mental piece, uh, and that we could talk for days on. But he's got to be a competitor. He has to hate giving up runs, just absolutely hate giving up runs. He's got to take it personally. Uh, he's got to have confidence and poison in, in himself. Uh, he's got to have emotional control. Uh, that being said, you know, uh, I, I'm a very emotional coach. I think I ride the edge a little bit, which, you know, I enjoy. But, um, you know, he's got to be able, when it matters, to step off, take a breath, be in control of emotions and, and be able to execute pitches. And he's got to have a work ethic. And you're going to, you know, you're not going to find all those things in every kid, but you, you got to have some sort of variation in those. Because in our program, our program set up, I, I work my tail off, man. I spend my summers flying up. I worked at Driveline for five weeks last uh, summer. Uh, you know, I go to the Texas Baseball Ranch. You know, anywhere I can find information, I'm emailing coaches that have had past success, and I'm and I'm creating developmental programs for our guys so that they can become great. So I need guys that are going to be able to come in and work and execute those programs over three years and not just stay stagnant. So. Um, in that mental piece, that work ethic is extremely important and, and, and just drive overall, just somebody who wants to accomplish something. So, um, it's a lot of factors. Um, you just trust your instincts a lot of time when you're watching somebody that they're going to be able to get outs, but you know, in the overall scheme of things, it all depends on what role that we need fulfilled at Point Loma, uh, within our pitching staff and what we're bringing that guy in to do. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a black, it's one of the things that I love the most just building a team can you teach that mental part uh it's like throwing hard it's one of those things like if you're 73 miles an hour your senior year of high school you're not going to throw 100 um and you know it's like the weight room like if you're deadlifting you know 150 pounds your senior year of high school you're probably not going to deadlift 600 pounds at the end of your life uh but that being said you can get better you can definitely improve um, and so I think that's our goal is just to figure out where guys struggle mentally, whether it's ownership, that's a big piece of it is taking responsibility and accountability for everything around you. Um, that allows you to have a lot more control of your environment, whether it's goal setting, uh, having a goal, you'd be shocked at how many kids just kind of play. And then, you know, once it matters to them and they set a goal, I want to be in the rotation or, you know, I want to get to 90 or I want, whatever it is. Um, you know, that really lights a fire underneath them and, and, and it gives them a reason to get up in the morning and it changes personalities completely when, you know, based on what goal that you have or, you know, uh, the mental game, slowing things down over emotional guys, uh, giving them, you know, working on breathing, you know, stepping off the mound, recognizing when things are starting to get out of control, stepping off, getting a breath in, slowing the game down and being able to execute the game one pitch at a time. And just another huge one's actually the biggest one that I'm hearing this summer is, well, I just didn't, didn't feel great today. And it's like, you're, you're never going to feel great, really. <laughs> and, and in all honesty, if you're waiting for those days where you feel great to take the mound, 70% of your career, you're, you're not going to pitch. You're going to have to skip those outings. And so it's really about teaching these guys how to perform when they don't feel great. Feeling great's overrated. It's completely overrated. Compete with what you got that day and find a way. And if you're able to do that, you know, guys learn those skills and, and seeing that, that's, you know, that mental stuff, that's the stuff that really, that's the most fulfilling stuff at the end of their four years or three years at Point Loma 
when they leave here uh, and seeing how much they've grown as men like that's that's the stuff that really excites me here here's a little bit of a question that's out of left field how do you fix or have you ever had to coach somebody out of the yips Ah, uh, yeah <laughs> summer ball I'll, I'll get guys in that are uh they come from their school. They coached a couple of years of summer ball out in the Northwoods League and the West Coast League. And we had a couple guys who had it. And, I mean, we get lucky because it's a change of environment. There's a difference between pitching at your college and pitching in summer ball. Uh, but that being said, like, it was – I think we started off this guy having him throw while the catcher was in the batting the, – uh, the turtle, the hitting cage that goes on field. And so the guy the, – the pitcher felt like if he missed, at least it would hit the backstop there and drop down. So kind of – soothing some of those fears and anxieties uh and then him having some success there us taking that to a bullpen him having success there and then us kind of slowly graduating that to a game and him having a ton of success out there so um there's yeah there's definitely been cases you know i've had one maybe two cases where we've kind of come back from that i guess i would say but uh there's also been other cases where that stuff appears and you just you just feel helpless and like (laughs) it's just like hey I'm sorry, man. And the the thing that sucks is about the guy that gets the yips. Uh, it's because he cares. Right. Guys don't get the yips because they don't care. Uh, guys get the yips because you know they care too much about you know being great or performing or executing, or you know being great for their team or being great for themselves um, for whatever reason it is. And so you really that's a tough one because you know if a guy didn't give a crap, he wouldn't get it. So those are those are yeah. Ooh. Oh, those suck. I know, I know. If anyone can ever cure that, they will definitely be a millionaire because I know that's that's ended careers before. Hundred percent. Well, it turned Rick Ankeel into a position player. Yeah. <laughs> um, how does this scholarship money work at the Division Two level? Because I know at Division One, it's eleven point seven scholarships. Um, yeah. What is it for you guys? If you're fully funded at the Division Two level, it's nine scholarships. Uh, a lot of and most programs aren't fully funded, so you know we're working on we're not working off that nine. We're working on a on a smaller number, and so you can break it up into whatever number you want. So there is no minimum like twenty five percent at the Division One level. You have to get that, but uh, so we can break it up in any way, shape, or form. But it all depends. Uh, most some schools that are fully funded, it's nine. Um, that's that's what they're working off of. But most schools are working off of a smaller number, and you try to put together packages and um you know for um, for the guys out there that are that are listening that are in high school or or in junior high just like this is a huge thing is do good in class get a good gpa you will get there is a ton of academic money out there uh for instance at point loma if you're over a three six with the right gpa that's twelve thousand dollars a year in academic money that you qualify for i mean it's it's ridiculous and so and there's other schools out there that they have to package it um and so when you do well academically um it opens up doors and opportunities it gets you into a lot of schools and gets you opportunities that way but also the schools that you get into that like you they're able to package athletic money with academic money and then mom and dad and you aren't worrying about the that that debt that's everyone's so afraid of yeah i uh i was lucky enough to receive an athletic scholarship and looking back i I think my mom would have been a little bit happier if i would have studied a little bit harder because i didn't receive i didn't receive any academic money but you know i went to xavier university and they like you were just saying they can put together some really good package deals but i wasn't qualified for any of them so it didn't 
<laughs> didn't work out. Um, you're yep. right now on the beach in San Diego. I am. So if there are any if there are any recruits out there listening and you hear the wind in the background, that's because Dimitri's on the beach. Um, you guys have an incredible field where oh. the ocean is in. It's the covers by the entire outfield, right? Pretty much. So uh, when you show up at our on our campus and you walk in, the first thing you see is a baseball field. When you look out behind the outfield wall, it's ocean. I mean, there's palm trees lining all behind the outfield wall, and then it's just ocean. And so it's um, every day, you know, one of, I get people ask me all the time, recruits parents, they go, does this get old? And I laugh. I'm like, no, not even kind of. <laughs> like, I'll take five minutes when I'm walking into work to look over it and, and just enjoy it. And then on my way out, I'll take five minutes walking out to just appreciate where I'm at. Because, you know, if you're appreciative of what you have in life, it's impossible to be frustrated. Can anyone hit a home run into the ocean or is it a little bit too far for that? It's a little bit too far. There's a drop off. There's a cliff. So the ocean's not as close as it appears because we're up a little bit higher. So it's a little optical illusion. But, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe with some overload, underload bat training, maybe somebody (laughs) will actually get one out there. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about coaching in college. Obviously, there's not a ton of, a ton of money there, and I know. Um, did you were you a volunteer when you were at Oregon? By the way, yeah, I was an administrative assistant, and so kind of handled the bullpen a little bit. And so I doubled. I had a second job as a short order cook at night uh, at, a, at a little bar called the Cooler that was right down the road. I got lucky with that, and then you know you just do lessons where you can, and so you know you're coming in, you're, you're grinding it out, um, you know, putting together practice plans and organizing that that organizing the practice for the day and then you know 5 30 practice finishes you got you know i got 30 minutes to get to work because i had the 6 to 2 30 a.m shift uh, at night and so you know on saturdays i got to go to one university of oregon football game in my two years there because i you know game days were the busiest days where i worked so i was normally in the back just cleaning dishes or you know cooking up food or whatever it was that they needed because we were completely slammed and you know i wouldn't we didn't even have a tv back there so we would just grind it out and then all of a sudden you'd come out i remember one day working the super bowl it was the packers uh, versus the pittsburgh steelers and we were i was working all day just cleaning dishes that we had three or four cooks back there and i was just trying to keep the line moving and then all of a sudden it was like 1 45 a.m i had you know i grabbed my broom and went out onto the main floor to clean up and i looked up and i was like oh yeah the game was the day and i finally got to watch highlights and it was one of those things where, I don't know, for me, there was no other place I'd rather be. I really felt like it was a rite of passage, like it was something that I had to go through. Um, is that the case for most college coaches who are volunteers or grad assistants? Do they normally just have another job? Uh, I would say it's not uncommon. It all depends on where you end up. There's some places that go above and beyond to take care of their volunteer. Uh, camp money is a big thing. It's you know, how they allocate that. Um, you know, they can get paid in, in different ways, not necessarily from being a coach, uh, from organizing camps and getting out in the community and building and growing those. That's a big one. If, um, but there's other places where the camp money's allocated towards other, you know, areas or they don't have a camp or their camps just don't pull that much. So in those situations, you know, guys pick up other jobs, whether it's teaching, whether it's, you know, bartending, whether it's, uh, let everyone does lessons, <laughs> every coach. I feel like every co- there isn't a coach who hasn't done private lessons um, just because and I think it's a good thing. You're a college coach. It's your career. It's your life. So you're kind of ahead of the curve on the knowledge stuff. And so you get a chance to get back to the community by giving them some good instruction. 
But you're, you know, on average, if you're a grad assistant or if you're a volunteer coach, you've probably got one, maybe two other jobs. What's your end game? Or is it your goal to be a head college coach someday, or are you yeah. kind of content to? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm delusional. I want to be a head coach in the Pac-12, uh, head coach in the SEC. Either of those will work great for me. Um, you know, I've got a lot of confidence and faith in my abilities, and I'm very patient. Um, but that being said, that's like, you know, I, that's my end goal. But that's in like the way back of my mind. Right now, my goal is to win a national championship at Point Loma, uh, and that's something that I bought into. My first couple of years of coaching. It was about the next job. You know, when I got to Chemeketa, it was about, well, where do I go next? What do I do next? Um, how do I get out of here? Because, you know, you're not making any money. That You're barely making any money, and, and it's, 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 it's a hard life. <clears throat> but I remember after I, my second season, I was worn out, and I put so much pressure on myself and, and, and those guys to perform well. And I just remember, it's, if you go on my Twitter, it's one of my tweets that, that's pinned. Uh, it's about, it's literally, I had one night I had an epiphany where it was just, you know, who cares about the status you can achieve? Who cares about the job? Just focus on caring about the guys that you're coaching there and then. Uh, because in all honesty, the SEC is great. The Pac-12 is great. Big West is great. Division one baseball is great. Um, junior college is great, but it's all baseball. Like, what do I want to do with my life? I want to coach baseball. So it doesn't matter where it's at, whether I'm at Point Loma or I'm at Santa Barbara city college. Like every day that I go to work, my effort, my attitude aren't going to change. The players aren't going to change. They're still human beings. Like I'm not going to care more about a guy because he's an SEC guy versus a JC guy. That's stupid. Um, so like I just focused on the work, on the process, on getting guys better. And when I did that, when I focused on making that year the best year you could just because, uh, when I focus on, you know, just like I plan on being, if I never get another job, I stay at Point Loma the rest of my life, I'll be completely happy. Um, every job that I take, I envision myself being there for the rest of my life. Uh, and if I can't envision myself being somewhere for the rest of my life, I, I don't take that job. Uh, and, it, and what that does, but I also put myself in a position where if we do well, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But that being said, the most important thing is like, I, I'm, I'm all in with the guys that I have, you know, I'm all in on winning a national championship at Point Lomba. And I think more importantly, I'm all in on getting the most out of every pitcher that I have on my roster. And I think that's, for me, it's, it's the best of both worlds. I think our guys' performances have gone up. I think I'm way happier, man. I'm way more stable. I'm way more balanced. Um, and, you know, somehow, some way, you know, you just have, I think faith's a big piece of it. It doesn't matter what you believe in. If you believe in whether it's yourself, whether you believe in, you know, a higher power, whatever it is, just have faith that if you do the right thing, things are going to work out. Um, I've, I've, created, I've gotten a lot of faith and so I just show up and work my tail off and help these guys out to the best of my ability and at the end of the year it doesn't matter what happens I can live with it and I'm happy Dimitri that is I really really appreciate that uh, that last segment you just did right there and, and I I can't thank you enough for, for doing it for the right reasons um, we've all seen coaches who who coach for you know obviously not not the right reasons I guess I should say in a, in a nice way so really appreciate it from the from the baseball community that you know you're you're not looking for the next job like you said before because you do see that a lot um i've seen that at, at different levels at the professional level obviously college baseball um so again man that's that's awesome that you're doing it for the right reason sure, and sure. i really appreciate you you taking the time to stop stop by today i think you dropped some sure. incredible information and it's really going to help 100%. um 
a ton of ton of people out there. And if I'm a pitcher out in California, um, I want to go play at your facility, at your place for sure. Because I'm looking at some pictures <laughs> and it's incredible. It's man. unbelievable, man. It's I'm telling you, every day I walk into work, I just start laughing. It's just like I don't know what I did. And the great, the crazy thing was, you know, to coaches out there that are going through the grind. Like three years ago, I had never heard of Point Loma. You know, three years, you know, 10 years ago, it was about, you know, you know, five, 10 years ago, it was about being a coach in the pack or, you know, a coach at Division One. And I've found more happiness and fulfillment within Point Loma, a place that I didn't even know existed just because I felt like I bought in and doing the right stuff. I felt like I bought in on helping people. I felt like I bought in on pushing myself to make sure that our program was as good as possible for the guys that wanted to put in the work. Love it. Dimitri, really appreciate you, uh, you taking the time to stop by today. Absolutely. Anytime. Huh?